Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Achieving Christian Thought podcast. I'm your host, Brian. Hey, thanks for listening in. This is Robert. Hey, I'm Zach. Join us for each episode as we apply the gospel to dive into the inner workings of the Christian faith. Are you agnostic or atheist and want to understand Christianity better? Want to learn more about Jesus? Discuss the differences between the modern and early churches? or maybe explore some of the Bible's most interesting characters, then we hope you'll join us in Achieving Christian Thought. Okay, well, Robert, Zach, thanks for joining us uh, yet again. We are on episode 15, if you can believe it or not. Oh, we oh, are oh. just flying through these. The <laughs> <really> are. <laughs> Um, just a quick FYI for, um, any new listeners we have out there, uh, definitely check out our Facebook page. If you go to Facebook and search for achieving Christian thought podcast, you definitely should find our page there. You can interact with us, leave comments, leave messages. There's also a link to our email if you want to contact us that way, but, uh, yeah, go, go check it out there and you can find us directly at our website at, um, the uh, Obviously we're on a variety of, uh, podcast platforms. Obviously you're listening to us. So you found us somehow <laughs> and finding us is half the battle. Uh, lately, yes, it has been. I still have not been able to get us on Apple Podcast. It, I'm still fighting that battle. So, oh, geez. So, um, I think we have, uh, based on what I remember from last episode, we've got a very interesting topic uh, for this um, episode. So, Zach, Robert, um, I'll let you kind of dive on in. What are we talking about? Okay, so, question was brought up to me uh, the other day, and it was about narrow-mindedness Christians and also uh, are being illiterate. So I guess hmm. to coin it in a, in a palatable way to kind of like um, to kind of get it to the heart of it is: Does Christianity promote narrow-mindedness? And illiteracy. What I mean by illiteracy is like you don't read anything at all. You don't want to read, you don't like to read, etc. Can't read, you know, kind of like, uh, so to speak. And, 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 um, I, I, I talked with a gentleman about it, you know, and, and, uh, Let's keep the answer, uh, you know, kind of out there and pose the question is, is does Christianity do those things? Does it promote um, narrow-mindedness? Does it promote uh, illiter- illiteracy? And that is the question. Dun, dun, dun. Has, has, has anyone ever read the King James Version? I feel like uh, if you can understand that, you're pretty literate. Uh, that's just kind of my take on it. If you can follow it at all. Oh yeah, I mean the King James version, and that, that's just one version of scripture. But I mean that, along with Shakespeare, has gotten correct um, credit 
influencing about 85% of our modern English language. So if you can read at all, and if you're a hardcore anti-Bible Bible, uh, person in your personal beliefs, you still have to thank the Bible for the fact that you can read, because the people who taught you taught them, taught them but on and on, were probably taught by missionaries how to teach, how to read the Bible. And I mean, you you gotta think of it. The Gutenberg Bible that was the first like mass-produced printed book that was yeah. distributed um, on a wide scale was the Bible. It actually promoted literacy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I think you know now has there been movements in Christianity? In the past, not necessarily Christian Christianity itself, not like if you open the Bible mm-hmm. and read it, um, has been certain groups, uh, you know, such as the Catholic Church in the Middle Ages that promoted a, a uh, do as I say and don't know what the Bible actually teaches uh, mentality. So there, there were instances of where People in positions of leadership and positions already did want the congregation to be illiterate, but it was so that they could kind of do their own thing. And where, you know, people couldn't hold them accountable. Like, like a great example is uh, Martin Luther's, um, what is it, the, the thesis that he nailed to knelt to the Catholic Church door. I mean, that was like basically boiled down to all these practices that the Catholic Church was promoting, partaking of, and doing mm-hmm. was anti-Scripture. And and was like, not only is it anti-Scripture, but you guys are missing the mark completely and totally. You know, and, and Martin Luther went off to his own thing in Germany and, and escaped persecution. But I mean, usually where groups focus on illiteracy or even sex for that matter. And what I mean by that is sect, sex, but sect. So my Southern slang here is you can't really decide, <laughs> discern between it, but oh, the, you know, sec, uh, sect groups, that um, promote you to just read their material and only their material. You can't read anything outside of their material. Watchtower. <laughs> um, you know, that's a group right there that promotes only their material and they don't want you to go outside and mm-hmm. look for other non-Jehovah's Witness material. Why? Because it will shed light on the fact that their teachings don't correlate with Christianity. Um, and usually that, again, that goes back to um, people trying to propagate illiteracy. Again, um, the scripture itself you know, does not promote that by any means. I mean, that was one of the things that um, in the New Testament, talking about the book of Acts, because we kind of were on that the previous episode, you know, one thing that Paul would always do is he'd walk into a synagogue. These would be Jewish and Gentiles both who 
would sit there and listen to someone get up and read from Old Testament. And what Paul would do is he'd literally argue from the Scriptures about the Messiah and it being Jesus. And and in order for you to be able to understand his point and his argument, is you would have to know the Scriptures. You'd have to have had read them be able to say, hey, that is in the scriptures, you know, that that lines up with what's being said. And I think um, one of the, the great examples of that is the, uh, the uh, was it Boeans, Burians? I can't Oh, the, the, the Bereans. Bereans, yeah, yeah, like where they literally fact-checked Paul as he was preaching. He, they're literally like opening up the scriptures investigating it for themselves to make sure that what he was saying lined up with Scripture. I mean, this is definitely a religion that promotes literacy, not only historically, as you guys have been saying, but in the very uh, pages of the Scripture itself. I mean, it promotes reading. It promotes literary. Um, now, I mean, I guess within the last, I guess, 200 years, in like secular world, so to speak, there has been a withdrawal Christians going into those fields, and really honestly, because they've not gone into those fields, those questions that could have been challenged early on have now been deep rooted in our society, and just now are there intellectuals and things philosophers that are coming around and going, hey, wait, 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 wait. If you think this and this, that means this isn't, like, they're actually you know, learning science. They're actually learning philosophy. They're actually going to these different um, uh, schools of thought and actually engaging with the, uh, I won't say enemy, but with the uh, different opinions and actually making headway in some respects. I mean, and I think that was an example of maybe where Christians stepped out of being a, an opportunity to being a person of influence, being a backseat driver, and because of that, we have this negative, uh, people view us negatively as because we're illiterate. Um, so on the first part of that, clearly I would say Bible does not teach us to be illiterate. It does not tell us to be illiterate. It does not promote us to be illiterate. You can look historically at that, and then you can also look from the, the scriptures itself. It doesn't mean that we've not had people who've not promoted it. I'm sure there's pastors out there, even still to this day, who say, well, you shouldn't go to college because they might warp your brain, you know, or what have you. And and the reality of it is, what he's doing is he's trying to protect his flock. He's going about it in the wrong way. Instead of actually engaging in the ideas and showing them how they're false or whatever, he's just sheltering at um, congregation or that individual, and in the end, whenever somebody is sheltered like that, they don't know how to deal with um, 
a uh, a different view. So it shatters their faith because they haven't even dealt with the objection to really be able to articulate a defense for it against it. Yeah. Um, I mean, there are so many ways you could tackle that idea because we'll say anti-intellectualism is a problem in the church, but that doesn't define the church. But before I get ahead of myself, you know, let's Preach, build. Brother. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, you know, to build this up one point at a time, uh, you know, Zach's been talking about the history and literary uh, brilliance of Christianity. Uh, I, I said bef- before we launched this episode and we chatted for just a brief moment about the topic, just he and I setting up this equipment, I said it blows me away that they would anyone would think that about Christianity, and we've historically been called the people of the book. Capital P, capital B, the people of the book. That's what some have even called us as a point of disdain, kind of like Jesus freak. We're the people of the book. And actually, I, uh, it made me think, I saw a meme recently that uh, it was it was meant to mock Christianity. It was a picture of a massive library, and it said, uh, the good thing about the difference between the university and the church is at least at the university, I'm not dedicated to just one book. And so the idea was I go to this massive library and I read all these different things. I get all these different perspectives and learn all these different things because I ran from these people who only read one book again and again and again. Someone commented on the meme. They said, oh, I recognize this picture. This isn't just any university. This library that you're claiming as some and cathedral to anti-Christianity. This is the library of Trinity University, uh, Trinity Seminary in Chicago. <laughs> so this is a seminary's massive, gorgeous library. And so just the idea that, you know, some of the anti-intellectualism that has happened inside of Christianity, the fact that it's become part of Christianity's reputation it absolutely boggles the mind unless someone intentionally wants to believe that to shelter themselves, ironically, shelter themselves <laughs> from another view. But um, I didn't mean to hijack too much of, of Zach's perspective, but oh, to bridge good, from that, the book and his, the, his, uh, the history of literacy, bridge that over to Christian theology itself. Um, I am practically, I mean, I'm a pastor theologian. I love theology. Christian theology in its biggest, uh, in its rarest, simplest, non-denominational form, even the most basic Christianity uh, screams against illiteracy in its very essence. And what I mean by that is the God that we actually worship. The idea that there is one God and three persons. Uh, he created all things. There is life beyond death. The reason there is hope and meaningfulness in the world is because a mind was behind what was made. And so that explains the human phenomenon of language. Psychologists cannot explain it. Biologists can't explain it. My brain is spouting off vowels and phonemes and spouting it into a microphone. And Everyone listening who speaks English as a language uh, should understand what I'm saying. If you don't, you probably speak another language and it's just as complex and just as beautiful and just as capable of communication as any other language on this earth. It's all because, according to Christian theology, the God who created the human mind, humans alone capable of this kind of complex speech and abstract thought, same God has power in his very word. 
We call the book the word of God. We call God's act, his commands, the word of God. In the very beginning, I'm talking about chapter 1 of Genesis, but not just the, the chapter, the text, but the event itself. The God of the Bible said, let there be, and reality obeyed what he said. So literally, the all of reality, all of history, is a story being told in the heart of God who has the power to make it so. It's not just something he's thinking of. We actually do concretely exist apart from him because his word has that much power in it. That conveyed the, the idea of word in us. We have the power of words because we've been created by a God whose word can do so much. And so without this idea, this theological foundation that there is one God who created everything by the word of his power, that's the very foundation of our ability to communicate with each other and understand from brain to brain what we're talking about on a daily basis. And we all live our lives like this. So this idea that this God would come in, um, he would use written words to convey the most important message of all time. He wouldn't just implant it in us instinctually. There are some things we get. We look at the rocks, we look at the mountains of the sky, and we know that there is a God. But we, to understand what he is doing in this world, who God is, why we are who we are, we've got to look down and we've got to look at text on a page that was given to us uh, through the prophets and through Moses and through the apostles. Jesus comes and he says, my word is power, my word is truth, I am the light. My words have life because I myself have life within me, and my words convey me. My words are what reflect me. My words are how you're going to learn about me. I can come, I can perform miracles, I can love people, I can even die on a cross and resurrect, but without my words, you'll never be able to interpret it well enough to put your faith in me fully. So he comes and he loves and he dies on a cross and he rises again. He inspires more scripture. Um, the half of the New Testament I mentioned in the previous episode, we talked about the book of Acts. The whole last half of the New Testament is Paul the Apostle in prison writing letters to a group of people because he wanted to be faithful with his pen in the same way he was faithful with his actions. The whole thing culminates in the idea that since we have this theological foundation, we can trust our words and we have to learn how to read in order to enjoy those words. It was so that you could come to salvation was the reason that missionaries and educators started trying to make literacy so very widespread. Because so for so long, the, I, the gift of literacy was only available to so many. But that was really just because of uh, poor economic standards and, ironically, anti-Christian philosophies that demeaned certain people groups because they saw them as little more than animals because they were born into a certain caste or a certain part of society. When Christ came and he preached that all people were equal, Martin Luther picked it up in our own American history, said all men are created equal, regardless of the color of your skin, your education level. This idea spouted the idea that we all should learn how to read. Because once you can, that unlocks every plethora of communication that you can be uh, accessible to. And it gives you every bit of uh, opportunity to live this life to the fullest, the glory of something higher than yourself. All culminates to the spread of the Christian faith and how it infiltrated not just our personal salvation, first and foremost, but our very culture.
just kind of moving along in this argument here. Second part, um, the uh, the statement or or uh, accusation, I guess you could say, is that Christianity is narrow minded, and you know, obviously, when someone makes that statement, I always like to ask the question: When you say narrow minded, what do you mean? And a lot of times, that usually means the you know, and it, and it could vary to people to people. Someone you know, they, you know, obviously this position you know you might have heard before. You might have some of those people listening in might have this opposition. Christians are just narrow minded. Um, but in asking that question, what do you mean? Forces person to open up and say, okay, well, don't accept. Like you do not tolerate um, different beliefs. You don't tolerate different ideas. And the difference in that is how we may not agree with people doesn't mean we don't tolerate them. And what I mean by that is a, a great example is there might be somebody out there has the belief that it's okay to cheat on their spouse. Mm-hmm. I will tolerate that person holds that view, but I will disagree with that person's view. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So I may not agree with a stance, a particular stance that a person has. That doesn't mean that I consider that person less than what they are or less than what they claim to be or less than human or any of those things. I think that is important in an important distinction is how Christianity focuses on reality, focuses on the problem of pain, problem of suffering, the problem of human uh, evil. Um, at the same time, we acknowledge that those things exist, but we don't condone those things. We don't approve of those things because we know that those things aren't good. And because we make that judgment call saying those things aren't good, those things aren't fulfilling, like for instance, going back to my example of, of the person who thinks it's okay to cheat on their spouse, they might think it's okay but objectively, they're hurting themselves, hurting the relationship with this other person, and they're hurting the relationship with their family. And objectively, there are more negative consequences in a world that, or excuse me, in a, in a, uh, trying to think of how to put it, in a, in a world where there are eternal ramifications thing that happens has significant impact on those things and it, it depending on what those things are you know obviously um whereas we might say adultery is a bad thing and it should not happen versus someone who commits murder we might judge those things differently we might judge those ideas differently we both would say that those things are wrong and they should not happen 
and 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 I feel like a lot of times going back to the charge of narrow mindedness often it's a misrepresentation mm. of what Christians are. We are very compelled, or at least Lord willing, we should be. At the same time, although we should be compassionate with people who have a different view or different ideas of, of God or what have you, at the same time, we also have the belief that there are eternal consequences to those said actions. Um, and some of those consequences are good. For instance, if you believe God, you believe God's Word, you trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you have the consequence of that belief, as you might lose friends and family in this world, but you, you will create a family outside of your blood family with brothers and sisters in Christ. So, uh, I have more connection with my bro- my brother in Christ, Robert, than some of my own family that's blood-related. Um, I consider him the little brother that I never had, um, the brother from another mother, you know? I mean, I've said that before. I mean, that bond that you have, you might consequently lose family members or friends. You might gain, as a consequence, Brothers and sisters who have that same view as you do. You know, whereas if you decided to uh, not agree with Christianity, not believe in those things, and not su- uh, submit to those things in this world, there is an eternal moment where you stand before Maker and you're left without excuse because He gave you the opportunities the knowledge and all these things for you to leave and you chose not to. And I mean, and so that's where I guess I like to make the distinction between narrow mindedness and uh, compassion. So while the Bible does tell us, but let me, let me even back that up a little bit more. Reality itself is narrow minded. What I mean by that is if you take water, break it down to the chemical composition as H2O. That is, for lack of a better term, a historic, I mean historical, a scientific fact. If you take and you add an additional water or oxygen, that it changes the identity of that chemical. It is no longer water. If you jump out of a plane with no parachute or anything, you will feel the force of gravity as you plummet to the earth. Those things, I mean, you might go, well, you know, it's very narrow-minded to think about gravity like that, but, well, I mean, jump out of a plane and see what happens. I mean, it's, reality functions in a certain way. We, as Christians, acknowledge reality and say that, you know, there's ramification for your ideas and beliefs and things like that, of that nature, and to submit to God 
is the greatest, the best thing for you. And while you have the freedom to not do that, there's also consequences. You might be like, oh, well, that's very narrow-minded of you to have, but that's the way reality works. You know, if you get married and you want to do something bad, there's consequences to those actions if you decide to do something bad. That's how reality functions. It's how our world functions. Yeah, I mean, to use, like, um, with, with God being our, our Heavenly Father, uh, to kind of take on that parenting metaphor, I would like to think of it as just, like, if if you have a kid, or any of our listeners out there has a kid, and they're wanting to do something reckless, or they're wanting to do something, well, you know, they're kids, they're stupid, um... And Man, you say, know. no, you know, no, you shouldn't do that. You know, that's dangerous or that's that's going to lead to something bad. You know, what would happen if your kid turned to you and say, well, that's a very narrow minded um, uh, a belief or opinion you hold. Like you would mm -hmm. definitely, you know, put your kid in your place of just like, hey, I know better than you. I'm just trying to protect you. And mm -hmm. so not it's not coming from a Christian as being self-righteous towards another individual, but it's just like our heavenly father has, you know, said, you know, I'm, I'm telling you not to do this, not because I'm, you know, no fun or I'm trying to prevent you from having joy or whatever, but this has real world consequences and I'm protecting you. So just like our heavenly father protects us the same way we would protect our kid from doing something if they don't know better. Um, and so that's, yeah, I, 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 I think what people say when they say, oh, Christianity is very narrow minded. It's like, uh, what they really mean to say, continuing that thought it's Christianity's very narrow mindedness to, uh, to sin or to give in to your own desires, your own, um, you know, the, the, the carnal wants of the flesh, uh, you know, or you know, to put kind of a Christianese spin on it. But um, it's, yeah, it's, it's, there's, I don't, I don't know. I'm just, I'm just not buying that argument that it's narrow minded because I mean, in some ways it, I guess in some ways you could kind of argue that, but it's like you said, it's to prevent consequences. It's to protect you from, from negative things happening. I mean, we all live our lives that way. Um, you know, to kind of use one metaphor for it, I've actually heard the argument before when a parent uh, tells a child to clean the room and the and the kid just says, well, it's clean to me, fine, clean. <laughs> and so to have this idea that, you know, clean versus unclean, it's a shiftable word, but it's impossible to go through life without being dependent on narrow views of things, reality. Mm -hmm. uh, the pavement is where the road ends. Once you, your car gets off the grass, your, your freedom is limited. Now, you will lose your car. You can totally just go off rail. <laughs> but, it, if it, but none of us complain about it because we, we just accept that, okay, yeah, this is the road. That's not the road. I would love to keep my car in good condition so that I can use it to go places. <laughs> I won't put it off the road intentionally. I don't care how awesome it will be. I'm content to not go crazy with it. 
Yeah, we'll do that with other things. Mm. Um, I mean, we're we, it, like you said, uh, Brian. The idea that you know sin is the main thing that they argue about when they say that the church is narrow-minded, that Christianity is narrow-minded. The idea that certain things are sin, certain things aren't. And Christians have learned to see it like the road. They just go, oh, yeah, that's not the road. I'm not going to run off of it. I can still enjoy the ride. Just know how to not fly off the pavement. Non Non-believers, they just see it differently. They see a road, and they're offended that the road only goes straight. They're offended that the whole landscape isn't one giant asphalt. Mm-hmm. And, it, I mean, for those who are content, honestly, I would argue for those who found wholeness in Christ anyway— there's a gaping hole in all of us, a discontent until we find that in him. That's when we learn that contentedness in order to feel whole enough to be content with the road that we're on. I feel like we have to fly off to define ourselves. Um, I've heard you know, stories of 30-year-olds, 30, 35-year-olds. The reason they never went to college at all, it wasn't anything about uh, tuition or, I mean, any of the basic stuff you would expect, but literally took so much time trying to decide what major they wanted to choose because they didn't think that they had the power to really decide for sure who they were. They were even mm-hmm. afraid to do that because once you define it, you've got to stick to that, and they don't like that idea. They they want to be like Jello and just mold themselves around until, I mean, literally until they pass away. They're never comfortable with where they are. And you know that's the that's part of the wholeness and the life that Christ offers is that you find that wholeness and contentment where you are, learning how to live out your story because it's nobody else's. But um, packing into a new section of that, because you know before we landed the plane with the episode, I at least wanted to make sure we took a minute to tackle the anti-intellectualism, mm-hmm. and I mentioned that it is a problem, but it doesn't define Christianity, but. Since it is a problem, there are individuals in the church. They're not part of cults. Um, they are very faithful believers most of the time, and yet they can have very sincere fears of certain things. Uh, they grow up not wanting um, their uh, young people to investigate literature. They grow up um, trying to narrow down very, very specifically which places they're willing to for a young person to go to school, which places they're willing for a young person to visit, even uh, what conversations a young person is willing to have with someone and not. If you're the wrong type of person or a dangerous person, um, I know there are some Christian curriculum that have you know every good intention, but they teach their children to just shut down and walk away. I mean, they do that. Mm-hmm. That's not how we're supposed to engage the world because that's the reputation you get with people who don't believe what you believe. You've got to be comfortable meeting someone where they are. Part of that's reading enough to understand all the massive amounts of contexts that exist in the world around us, where people come from, people thinking. Um, you know, one person could have a great idea and the next person could think is absolutely nuts because they process reality in different ways based on the very foundation of how they think. But, uh, you know, where those ideas come from, that anti-intellectualism, I think a part of it, um, and it's not just my opinion, I have actually read this from some people who've done the research, but um, it's kind of like, um, without getting into politics, th- there is the reality that Um, There are some Christian groups that have leaned so far into politics, they disregard the gospel itself. Mm -hmm. That is a slow process. 
over decades of reactionism to certain things in our culture. I believe the reason I bring that up is I believe it's the same exact way with the anti-intellectualism. Slow, decades-long chiseling away as the church reacts to the culture rather than uh, actively engaging it. Yeah, I mean, I think a great example of that know is i mean robert and i both went to the same church for a long time nothing wrong with this church i'm not bringing it up for any reason other than just the fact that you know we both visited this church and and the this was back when we were when i was in college and robert was in college too and it was kind of like there was people that were afraid for their children to go off to college because it's like you poured all these years into vacation Bible school and 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 all that and like you know their elementary, middle, and high school that was like they believed in God and then all of a sudden they go to college, they get exposed to these ideas and they walk away from the faith. Whereas like if you actually took the child and sat down with them and be like, hey, look, there's different ideas out there. Not all ideas are equal. And and not only not all ideas are equal, but not all ideas are livable. Not all beliefs are livable. And let's, let's talk that out and let's hash that out and let's talk about Christianity and how it works and, and things of that. They didn't articulate those things. And so they, a place of fear, like, well, don't, just don't go to college. I'm not saying college is good for people. I'm not saying college is bad for people. I think it just depends on what you want to go to college for. You know, I think I think there is a whole lot of college out there that isn't um, conducive to a society that actually functions. I mean, you get a you get a, a degree on ancient medieval literature or uh, ancient medieval philosophy or something like that. If you don't it and you don't write about it then it's it goes nowhere you just got head up on the yin yang or whatever you know i mean again i'm not engineering off on that subject but it's still at the same time i mean because people are afraid to uh dig in to realize that there are answers in christianity there are answers out there that make sense at know there is science that's good out there i mean there is philosophy that's good out there and then and, and to to walk away from those things because uh because it's a, a a challenge to be able to articulate what you believe and why you believe it i think that that's one of the, the uh easy way outs it's easier to not get involved in college it's easier to not get involved in science and philosophy. It's easier to not um, pick up a fantasy book. I mean, I, me and Robert both love fantasy. I mean, I I love to read it. I love to write it. There's some people out there who who would find out that I love to read and write fantasy, and they'd be like, "Well, you're a heretic," because they they just it's it's so anti to them that they can't process how you could actually love God and Jesus and the Bible, but also enjoy fantasy. Or if you, yeah, listening, listening to any music other than gospel music, you know, that, you know, that's another that you hear a lot. 
Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, and... like you get brainwashed by it. Like, I mean, because that was that was one of the big things. It's like you know, people talked about listening to various artists backwards and stuff like that. Well, one, can't really do that. But two, it's like, but you just take a moment and listen to what the lyrics are saying. There's a good bet. What the lyrics are saying is probably what's causing that person to stumble. Isn't whether or not it's being played backwards or this or that or whatever. It's what ideas are being presented. And if you don't educate and properly talk to your children about those things, there's going to be the um, rebellious spirit that kicks in that says, hey, I'm doing something my parents don't want me to do. And for that reason alone, make them dig in even more. Yeah. The, I mean, the arguments against the stuff from the naysayers um, among the, the anti-intellectualist uh, Christians are so shallow, too. I'm just, I mean, throwing through the examples that we've used, uh, Zach mentioned fantasy. And these are things I've actually heard. I'm not, I'm not making this stuff up on the fly. I've heard, don't you know that magic is pagan? And I mean, I immediately just go, well, don't you know wizards are fiction? <laughs> just walk away. They're harmless. <laughs> down music don't you know led zeppelin gave his soul to the devil where is that cited and there's he just did stairway to heaven i actually saw i saw a comment by a pastor in all sincerity there is a very well-known megachurch pastor who uh recently played stairway to heaven on his page and anyone out there listening might already know exactly who i'm talking about but a, a very uh, a lesser known local pastor commented and said he lost all respect for this pastor at this moment. And he said, and I quote him, Stairway to Heaven is innately pagan or innately demonic. And I mean, there are, there are references to pagan culture, ideas, but I would not argue that that song is innately demonic. It is just a song. I mean, it, if, you're, if you find something, if you're really comfortable in the gospel, you'll be comfortable going into that and be willing to pick it apart and think it through. But uh, what the, the, the reason I went on that little tangent was, you know, the arguments are so shallow. Um, I mean, the idea that people will uh, pick things apart simply because they're not accepted at the uh, local evangelical book club or mm-hmm. you know, so forth. Um, I started to drop a, a ministry name. I was like, I don't need to do that. Back <laughs> off. Back off, back off. But, um, but, I mean, here's an example. Um, I recently had, and I don't mean anything against this person I'm about to bring up at all. He's a very faithful, friendly minister who's humble. But um, I mentioned that I loved the newest Batman movie. At the time of this recording, that might be a little dated. But, I mean, the Batman with Robert Pattinson just came out. And honestly, I literally went on Facebook and I said, I think I might have a new favorite Batman. And this pastor friend came up. He's like, really? And he said, I just wanted it to hurry up and end. And he started citing the language, the violence. Of course, not things you necessarily endorse as a believer. But I enjoyed the movie for its own sake, for the message on it. And uh, I basically pointed, I mean, I literally pointed out the reasons I enjoyed it, which was all, I mean, I overlooked all the little details to go to the philosophy. I said the message of this movie was this, this, and this. And they've never done that with Batman before. All of a sudden, he just goes, well, I, I admit it's kind of growing on me. And so you have this idea of this back and forth, or you have these kind of shallow arguments, and then once you 
think through what was being presented, then the arguments kind of fail on the other side because mm-hmm. they haven't thought it through yet. Um, and that, I mean, that's a major problem all throughout the church, like we've been talking about. And one thing I think has really contributed to that, to get beyond pop culture to church culture, um, I think one thing that's really helped to build that up, it's a great thing, but the way sinful humans with our flaws and our mistakes, um, our, our tendency to lean towards the bad, I think uh, it's been abused by us despite the, the beauty of church culture because, uh, you know, modern American church culture is... You have uh, a Christian, a pair of Christian parents. They take their kids to the youth group. They grow up in summer camp, um, VBS. Mm-hmm. Uh, they grow up, um, you know, going through the Bible drills. And the thing is, it's become so easy in that very, very stereotypical context to dump a child into that world and try to allow that world to take the place of discipleship in the home itself. Um, The idea that, you know, we are experiencing church, and yet you can go to church for years, and the parents themselves, grandparents in the family, can go to church for years and never really think through the philosophy of religion, the fine details of the faith, as long as they keep agreeing to the same basics. I mean, it's so easy to do because that's the way we say raise our kids. That's just the experiences that the typical Christian family gives their children, mm-hmm. and they don't really know how to handle anything deeper. It's just pass it off, let it simmer, and as soon as it's challenged, it's easier to back off because it doesn't require any more engagement from me as a parent. And and I think also, like, you know, just going back to that kind of that cookie-cutter uh, stereotype there is is you don't dig into the scriptures. I mean, there's portions in the Bible that are insanely violent, and and if you are a type of person that makes the argument, well, you shouldn't watch something because it's violent or things of that nature. It's like. Well, then you better not read the Bible <laughs> because there's some violent things in the Bible. Yeah. I mean, when, you know, we talk, I mean, and I think we've even mentioned this before in the past. I mean, it's like, oh, don't talk about violence. Don't talk about violence. But then, oh, what about David and Goliath? It's like, man, that that's a challenging story. Everyone's got their Goliath and everybody's a David, yada, 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 yada. But it's like if you go on and you read what happens, you know, it's like David takes a stone, a sling, and he throws it at Goliath, knocks him in the head, and then goes and grabs Goliath's sword, which was a huge sword, and he was most a teenager at the time, picks it up, and then chops the guy's head off. Then not only does he do that, but then he picks up the head, and he displays it tauntingly to the Philistines, which then like emboldens the uh, Israelites to go chase after Philistines and kill them. I mean, that's insanely violent. If you don't <laughs> want people to read violence, and you don't want people to read those things to expose them to it, then you then don't pick up the scriptures. The stoning of Stephen. I mean, I mean that in itself right there is as a, as a was a guy who 
was willing to give up everything. I mean everything to suffer a martyrdom and and that was death. He was literally stoned to death. Mm-hmm. I mean, that is a very violent thing to happen. I mean, the the sons of Skiva talking about that. I mean, in the previous episode, you had uh people that were playing with demons and trying to say that they had the power to do this and do that and the demon challenged them and beat them up and how terrifying would that be to to be you know some sort of like pastor or priest or something like that because you know you see all the exorcism movies and stuff like that to actually go to a person that's legitimately possessed and that thing turns and looks at you and says Jesus I know and Paul I recognize then turns and says who are you that would be terrifying i mean that in itself right there i mean gives i mean pure examples from scripture of things that you know many christians today would say don't go see that don't go and participate in in those things and i will say that there is a point of being cautious with those things don't be uh haunting with those things, but at the same time, go see a movie that isn't Christian. It's okay. It's not the end of the world. So let me pose a question uh, kind of on that, because this, if we kind of um, do a little bit of psychology on this, I'm I'm wondering if, if I'm thinking about this correctly. So some of these Christians who are like, you, you have to listen to gospel music, you can't listen to secular music, you, you can't watch these movies out there, you can only watch Christian films, all this stuff, you can only read the Bible, don't read any other literature. So like, I know for me, I've got a, a very addictive personality. I know that about myself. I don't really have good self-control. Um, take me to a buffet. I'm just going to keep eating until I absolutely hate myself. Um, I just know that that's a thing ab- about myself. And so because I know that about myself, I've never, ever once in my life, I've never drank alcohol. And it's not that I am against alcohol. I'm not against other people drinking alcohol, but I know that just from my addictive personality to things, I don't even want to get wrapped up in that because while I don't know if I'd be susceptible to just take it way too far and not control myself, I don't even want to tempt that. So I'm wondering if some of these other Christians who maybe they are, Um, I'm not wanting to say weak in the faith, but maybe they're more susceptible to secular ideologies or secular beliefs. Um, They stay away from that, but they take it a little too far where they, they kind of, um, 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 what's the psychological term when you, you project that on other people. So just like I know that I have this flaw, I'm more susceptible to this. Like I could understand if, if I know that I probably with my addictive personality shouldn't drink alcohol, but then I chastise everybody around me who drinks alcohol and I really put them down and say, no, you absolutely shouldn't drink that, whatever. And I'm, you know, 
I'm I'm wondering if if maybe some of these Christians maybe do the same thing. They're either weak in their faith or not maybe not weak in their faith, but they're more susceptible to some of that um secular influence that you know they might disagree and then they project that on others around them. I don't know. Um that's just yeah. what I was thinking about. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think I think if you personally have a convict like if you read the scriptures mm-hmm. and and you make the decision for let, let's let's use the example of fantasy because mm-hmm. me and robert both like fantasy and, and i've talked to you a little bit about skyrim yada 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 yeah uh, not not the name drop not the name drop a a, a, <laughs> a game still um there it was uh <laughs> um now Going back to that example, do you, whenever I first became a believer, you know, I was involved in witchcraft before I was a Christian, and and I took all my fantasy books that weren't related to magic. It had nothing to do with magic at all, and a lot of the ideas, a lot of the philosophies had nothing to do with magic or what, mm-hmm. what, what true witchcraft is at all. None of it anything to do with that. Um, and I got rid of all of it. And I just focused on pouring myself into the scriptures and I focused on learning what the Bible said, what it didn't say, and, and those things. And then later on, after I got educated and I was comfortable mm-hmm. with um, what I, what I believed and why I believed it, I was able to pick up fantasy once again and from the right perspective enjoy it from the right perspective um we'll say that you know are there seasons for believers whenever they're called out of something where that they should probably focus more on what they believe and why they believe it i think that would be good you know as but that isn't to say that you can't go to see a movie or yeah, to yeah. listen to a type of music, etc. I will say, like, because I listen to like heavy metal. I mean, I, that's always been my cup of tea. You know, people who knew me at high school, if they listened to this podcast, they'd be like, "Oh yeah, Zach. Zach used to listen to some hard stuff." And I still like to listen to some hard stuff. There's some really great. Christian bands out there that are really hard that I really enjoy, you know, at the same time, it's like, I have to monitor myself. Like when I'm angry, I have to say, Nope, I'm not listening to that right now. You know, Mm -hmm. I think there's that that self education, like you said, um, going back to your example, Brian, knowing that your personality is addictive, knowing that if you was to drink, know it might lead you down that path i think that self-education is understanding who you are who you are in christ mm-hmm. and understanding your weaknesses is is part of being a mature believer and i would say that as you grow um not to challenge yourself in a negative way but at the same time to the understanding of your weeks and your strengths and and use those for the glory of God. I mean, again, uh, in moderation and things of that nature. 
Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You going back to your idea of drinking, I, I know I, I have brothers in Christ who don't drink often, but they drink a little bit. Like they'll go out to dinner and they'll have a beer with their steak or something. Mm-hmm. I don't think anything less of them. Oh, exactly. You know, yeah. I yeah. Mean, I don't either. Yeah. I mean, I know there are some groups out there that would say like, because he drank at all, he's going to hell, but he's a brother in the Lord and he's actually a pastor. And I mean, I don't have doubt in my mind that he's not a true, a true believer, you know, I mean, but he, but he, the thing is, is he knows his limits. He's self-educated yeah. enough to know mm-hmm. that I can have beer or a wine or a glass of wine at dinner and know that I'm okay. You know, he knows himself and he knows, and he also knows like if he pushes himself too far down that path of, you know, going down that path of alcoholism, like it could very well ensnare him, you know, so to speak. He knows that about himself. I think that's one thing a lot of, a lot of, uh, in Christian culture, like we, we don't want, don't want to develop ourselves. We don't want to learn ourselves because we may not like what we see. We may not like see the weaknesses of ourselves. We may not like to see um, areas where we need personal character growth and spiritual growth. And because we don't want to see those things, we just turn our eyes off of it. Um, and and we withdraw from it to never be challenged, to never open up the scriptures to read it and, and go, wow, man, there's some violent stuff in scripture, <laughs> you know, and then be able, I mean, again, not to, not to say that there's not stuff out there that is so insanely crude that maybe you, it's okay if you do get offended by something and you do decide to walk away or you do decide to put a book down. There's books that I started reading that came uh, TV show franchises that I've had to put down because it's like, my goodness, really? Another sex scene that has nothing to do with anything? I mean, it's like, come on, really? Really? I mean, and and there's absolutely nothing wrong with saying, okay, that went too far and I'm done with it. And Mm -hmm. having that personal conviction for yourself and not judge another br- brother who can uh, stomach the content and focus on the story, kind of like what Robert was saying, like how he went and saw that new Batman movie where one believer was like, I couldn't watch it, I couldn't finish it because of the language, yada, yada, yada. And Robert was able to say all these different things about it in the, the plot and the summaries and all those things and actually go into details about different ideas. It was like light bulb flickered, but you know, and that goes back to personal conviction. You can be personally convicted about something and choose to be offended by it, choose to not finish it, choose to not read it or what have you. Then don't try and project that on someone who does finish exactly something like that. Exactly. Or can drink, you know, maybe there's a brother that can drink beer and it'd be okay. And it's not the end of the world. They're not going to hell because Jesus didn't say, you know, don't drink. You know, he said to not be drunk. You can, you know, what you get what I'm saying. Yeah. 
So, I mean, and I, and I think that's just that's just the thing. That's just the way it is. It's easier to not be challenged. It's easier to, and it's also easy to become self righteous in your own eyes and go, mm-hmm. "Oh, I think this is completely rude, crude, and socially unacceptable." And you should too. Yes. And it's very easy for people to fall into that trap. But uh, to kind of land the plane on this, because I don't have anything else to add, Zach did a very good, very, very good, thorough job of summarizing that one. Very thorough. Uh, <laughs> danger falls both ways. But to, to kind of reel this back to the main point of the whole thing was, you know, literacy. The more literate you allow yourself to be, the more ready you will be to face those things and the more you'll actually be able to tolerate because you'll be able to process them and digest them a lot in a lot healthier ways. But um, to, to land the plane, at least as far as anything I have to say, um, I'm, I'm the one who summarized the theology of the word. Jesus himself said, you know, not one jot or tittle will pass away from my father's word until everything in it has, pa- has come to pass. So he upheld the written word of his father, unlike anyone else in history. So um, to the, the my parting thoughts for anyone listening out there, especially for believers, uh, the ultimate path towards becoming a literate Christian, and we've said something similar in another episode, but make sure you know your own Bible word for word. Go outside the Bible, read other things. I mean, drink from every pool you can get your hands on. Know your own word cover to cover. That way you know exactly what to think, exactly what to do. And when you confront people who try to push uh, traditions or downright lies on you, you'll actually be able not only to engage them, but to process the things that they've said and where they may have come from so that you have a firm grasp understanding of what biblical Christianity in and of itself truly is and where church traditions Based on human beings, church culture has uh, basically fundamentalized these things begins. And uh, that's the beginning point of being able to filter and process things in a way that glorifies God. Amen. I like it. So, Robert, uh, Zach, um, thank you so much. Uh, I know this was kind of an impromptu topic for this podcast, but <laughs> I got a lot out of it. Um, I hope our listeners did. Uh, where are we heading uh, for the next uh, couple of episodes? Let's see. I believe we are going into uh, some stories of the martyrs themselves, not necessarily in Scripture. That was covered in the episodes before that, but some early Christian martyrs in the first century and the, and the second. And so we'll be talking about some, some of, uh, of the more inspiring stories, sharing those. Right. Excellent. Um, yeah, we really appreciate uh, everyone listening and, uh, we hope you join us uh, for the next, uh, couple of episodes and, uh, yeah, definitely check out our Facebook page, uh, leave a comment, uh, interact with us there and, uh, we'll see you next time. So thank you all. Thank you. Thank Bye. You.